kind of have a love-hate relationship with the share button on Facebook or any other social media, really. And it's not because I think it's a bad idea. If you're not familiar, the share button is just as a little button that you can push, and instantly it just poof, whatever story, whatever post, whatever you want to put out there, it automatically just puts it in front of everybody in your network. It's a really powerful tool. But there's this saying that with great power comes great responsibility, and I'm not sure that we as a society really grasp the responsibility necessary to handle the share button. And you can see that when you start to look at what the top Facebook posts or top shared posts from last year. For instance, on the one hand, you've you've got this one story. It's titled, Neurologist Find Four Rituals to Improve Happiness in Life. If that's true, that sounds like a pretty important thing. Like, like this is scientifically verified information that has the potential to increase the enjoyment that people get out of each and every day. That sounds like it could help a lot of people. And it sounds like that's the kind of thing that ought to be shared. And that's why half a million people shared it last year. So sometimes we have good examples. On the other hand, though, we've got things like this quiz called, What State Should You Move To Based on Your Personality? I just want you to take that in for a moment, because when I read that, I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What, what does a personality have to do with where you live? But over three million people shared that quiz that has no scientific backing and took a guy like 45 minutes in his cubicle to type up so that he could post and make his word count for the week. That's what I'm talking about here. Something that was useless had six times the exposure as something that is potentially important and helpful to people's lives. Sometimes we don't always share the things that need to be shared. And that's not just a social media thing either. You think about any given conversation that you might have throughout your week. Is it more likely that somebody is going to share criticisms and complaints or share solutions and share some encouragement? What do you think is more likely? It's probably the criticism and the complaints, right? Sometimes we don't share what probably needs to be shared. Or you think about the news for a moment. You turn on the news any given night. Are you more likely to hear a story about some celebrity who said something critical about a politician or something positive and encouraging that happened in the world? You're probably going to hear some useless story about a celebrity talking about things they don't understand, right? Sometimes we don't share the things that need to be shared. We're continuing this series this morning. It's called Fresh, and it's all about the kind of life that God desires for us to have and to live. He doesn't desire life to be shallow. He doesn't desire life to be unfulfilling. He desires life to be purposeful and meaningful and, and in a word, fresh. And he offers us this opportunity through Christ and the changes that Christ makes in our lives. Because when we come to Jesus, we start to see ourselves in a new light and with a new understanding. And we start to see our purpose with new understanding. And we start to see that, that there's something special about this life that he's called us to. It's the kind of thing that people in this world really need to hear about. But sometimes that story, that, that fresh story of Jesus and what he's done just becomes another example of something that probably should be shared but isn't. This morning we're going to continue just rolling around this, this, this idea of fresh life in our head and this story, this fresh new story that God has given us in Christ, this new beginning, this purpose, this calling, and help us mull over this fresh story. We're going to be looking at a passage in the book of John, chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up the book of John, chapter 4, follow along there. If you don't have your Bible, as always, you can follow along on the screen behind, or you can download the Version Bible app on your mobile device and follow along there. So let's start by just rolling around in our heads this question of this fresh life and look an example 
of how powerful the story of a fresh life can be. John chapter 4, it starts out with this powerful truth that sometimes is difficult for people to really accept in their lives. But it is straight from the mouth of God, gospel truth. Here it is. Jesus wants to be a part of your story. He really does. He wants to be a part of your story. Our text opens up with John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are traveling through the region of Samaria. And that's kind of odd, really, because most good Jewish teachers didn't go through Samaria. There were a lot of ethnic and religious tensions that just put the Jews and the Samaritans at odds, so most of them avoided it. But for some reason, Jesus chose to go through this route. So they're going along, and they come across this well. And Jesus stops, he, he takes a rest, and, and he kind of just chills out by the well, and he sends the rest of his disciples into the town to, to run some errands. And all of this takes place about noon. And about that time, when the disciples get into town, here comes this woman out of the village to come and get some water for the day. Which may not sound unusual to us, but again, it's kind of odd, because noon is not a cool time of day. It's kind of hot, especially in that region of the world. So the fact that she's coming out here at this inconvenient time of day suggests that there's probably some reason why she's chosen this. And we'll find that out in just a couple of minutes. But Jesus is sitting by this well, and here comes this woman, and as she draws water, he says, hey, can I have a drink? And she says, okay, and she gives him a cup of water, and, and they start to talk, and as is pretty typical of Jesus, he tries to tell her something about himself and this fresh life that he offers. And to do this, he tries to, to grab a metaphor that she might understand, and, and he thinks, okay, she's drawing water, she needs water, and so he uses this metaphor of living water to describe what he's come to do, but she doesn't really understand it. And so he has to kind of backtrack and take a different tact, and that's where our passage picks up. John chapter 4, verse 15, goes like this, the woman said to him, sir, give me this living water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband, so what you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And she kind of implies there a question, which one is it? So Jesus is trying to explain to her who he is, and she doesn't really get it. And so he takes a different tact. He says, well, why don't you go get your husband and bring him back? And that's where we learn why this woman is by herself at an inconvenient time of day getting water. She doesn't have a husband. The fact is that she's had five husbands. And for whatever reason, by death or divorce, she has become single again and again and again. And in this particular culture, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, you're going to start to get a reputation either as a black widow or a black sheep, whichever may be the case. And so, you know, she, she wasn't really up on anybody's, you know, got to marry that girl list. The truth is that guys weren't really beating down the door to marry a lady that had been married five times already. And that kind of has contributed to her situation right now, too, because currently she's living with a guy that she's not married to, which, again, in this culture is a very big deal. God created sex for the marriage covenant, and so if they're living together and doing the deed, but they're not married, that's going to put her squarely outside of her community. And that's why she has come at this inconvenient time of day. Most ladies came in the early morning when it was still cool outside to get their water so it didn't get too hot and it wasn't too or, or laborsome to, to get it and get it back home. 
But she doesn't want to be around the other women because, frankly, they don't like her. She has this reputation. She is kind of an outcast. The other ladies, maybe when she came, would, would murmur about her or give her dirty looks. Or, you know, so she's just decided, I'll just avoid everybody and I'll come out here when it's inconvenient. So I just don't have to deal with anybody else. And even how she addresses Jesus is kind of, kind of promiscuous, potentially, because she says, I don't have a husband. And that could mean simply, I don't have a husband, or it could mean I'm available. And, and, and it's, it sounds silly, but there's actually kind of this thing, this thing in their culture where men and women meet at wells, and that's kind of like when the stars align and romance is in bloom. And so the fact that Jesus is at a well and that she's at a well and he's saying, do you have a husband? She could be hitting on Jesus. That's all I'm saying. There's a lot at play here. Needless to say, this woman's story is kind of messy, I mean, really, it's kind of a messy story. This is the kind of woman that, that good Jewish people would have just avoided altogether. I don't really want to get involved with you and your deal. I'm just going to keep moving and pretend I don't see you. And even this woman understands that her story is messy. Did, did you notice how she tried to change the topic towards the end of the conversation? She's like, Jesus, let's, let's talk less about my sex life and talk more about church, okay? Which, which mountains should we worship on? Even she doesn't want to get into this. But Jesus won't let up. He knows her story is messy, and yet he doesn't really seem bothered by it. In fact, Jesus seems pretty comfortable right here in the middle of her mess, talking about her life. You know, I had this friend in high school. He was my best friend, not an organized guy by any means, though. His room was constantly messy. In fact, it was so messy that oftentimes he was grounded and we weren't allowed to hang out because he had to clean up his room first. And we're not talking 12, 13-year-old boys. We're talking 17, 18-year-old guys, okay? He had a messy room pretty much his entire life. And it finally got to the point one time where I was like, man, I'm just, I'm tired of your mess being the reason that we can't hang out. So I went to his house and I cleaned up his room. And it was a little embarrassing for his mom and it was probably a little embarrassing for him, but... But here's the thing. The mess didn't bother me. I can handle a mess. I can't handle a mess being the reason I can't be with people I care about. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. He he doesn't care about her mess. He's not bothered by her messy story. What bothers him is that a mess might be the reason that she's separated from God. And so he stays here in the midst of her story, talking to her getting to know her, telling her who he is and what he's come to do. She's not the only one with a messy story, by the way. We can stand here and talk about her and her tale all day long, but the truth is we've all kind of got some mess in our story. And if we were to take a long, hard look in the mirror and start poking and prodding around our hearts, I'm willing to bet it wouldn't take too long before we uncovered something that if people really knew about, Maybe they wouldn't want to hang out with us either. But just as hers isn't the only story that's messy, and Jesus wanted to be there anyway, Jesus isn't bothered by our mess. In fact, Jesus is pretty comfortable finding a place in our story, regardless of how messy it might be. In fact, that's the whole reason he came into this world, was to set foot in the middle of our mess. The whole history of the earth is pretty messy. It started out okay. And then sin entered the tale, and it started to run amok, and selfishness started to tear relationships apart. 
And we started to care more about temporary and material things than eternal things. And, and we started to crave what was destructive and harmful. And when we indulged in those things, we didn't find the satisfaction we thought we'd find. We just found frustration and shame. The story of the world, our stories, it's all messy. And that's why Christ came into this world, to change our unhappy endings. He set foot in our stories, and He took sin, and He took shame, and He took death upon Himself to give us fresh new life. And as He goes to work changing us and shaping our hearts into something new, He changes our messy story into one that God is proud to tell. That's why He came into this world. So when I say that Jesus wants to be a part of your story, you can take that to the bank. That's why He came into this world. He wants to be a part of your story. And if we let Him in, and we experience that change from death to life, your story becomes one that needs to be shared. Not just ought to be shared, or it's probably a good idea to share it. Your story becomes one that needs to be shared. Look at how this woman responds to Jesus as we keep reading. Skip down to verse 28. It says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So here's this lady, and she, she's so excited about what she's heard from Jesus that she just leaves her water jar and heads back into town. Now keep in mind, this water jar was the whole reason she came out here to begin with. This is the whole reason she's at the well, and this isn't just like a quick little jaunt back into the city. We know exactly where this particular well is. It's about a quarter mile outside of town. So something about her interaction and her experience with Jesus was powerful enough to cause her to forget that, her daily supply of water, and to run back into town because this was a story she needed to share. So she gets to the town square and she starts telling people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And understand what she's saying there. She's not saying, hey, Jesus told me what I watched on TV last night. Or Jesus told me what I had for breakfast this morning. She's talking about her sin. Come see the guy who knew just how messy my story was, but he stuck around to talk to me anyway. And there's actually an example that we can learn from here in her story, because notice what she's not doing. She's not standing in the town square preaching a sermon or shouting Bible verses at people. And she's not arguing the finer points of philosophy and religion. She's not doing anything complicated. All she's doing is telling her story sharing her experience of Jesus and what just happened in her life. And that is enough to catch everybody's attention. This town that this story takes place in is called Syker. It's not a very big town. It's a lot smaller than Monmouth. So everybody pretty much knew this woman, and they already knew her reputation, and they already knew her story, and that's why this is so impactful. Because here is this well-known loner, who is coming before people in an uncharacteristic way and saying, you got to come see this Jesus guy. Something about her has changed, and it's noticeable enough that people start saying, hey, maybe I should go check Jesus out too, just to see what this is all about. Hers was the story that they needed to hear, even if it was messy. And just like hers is not the only messy story in the room, hers is not the only story that needs to be shared either. Your story is one that somebody needs to hear. Not ought to hear or it'd be good to hear. Your story is one that somebody needs to hear. But so often we keep it to ourselves 
And we think, oh, I can't tell my story. I, I can't share my experience of Jesus. And there are different reasons for that. You know, sometimes we think that our story maybe is a little too messy, and if people knew all the details, they might look at us a little differently. But I want to share something with you. There are a lot of people in this world, in this community, who have stories messier than yours. I talk to them pretty much every week. <laughs> people don't come see the pastor because life is going great. And these people need redemption. They want a second chance. They want a new beginning. And hearing that you found that makes yours the story they need to hear. But sometimes we fall on the other end of the spectrum too, and we think, well, my story's not that special. My story's pretty plain Jane, white bread, vanilla. My story is just, it's, nobody's going to get excited about my story. But here's the thing. There are a lot of people with messy stories that would kill to have a plain Jane vanilla story. They want what you have, which means your story is the one they need to hear. I used to think that my story was pretty boring. I mean, if, if my life was written into a biography, it wouldn't be a page turner, just to be honest with you. It's pretty dull. I was born to a, a Christian family. I grew up in church. I had two parents for most of my childhood. Uh, I went to Bible college. I've got a good marriage and I preach in a church. Like, that's, that's pretty much the extent of it. It's not exciting. It's not a thrill ride. It's just my story. I used to think it was really boring until I met a guy named Tim. Tim's not really his name, but we're just going to say Tim this morning. At the church where Lindsay and I just came from, Tim and his wife would occasionally attend, and they would listen to me preach, and I tend to preach for my life a little bit, so Tim got to hear my story. And one day after church, he knocked on my door, and he said, hey, can we talk? So we went over to my office. And he just started spilling his guts to me. He couldn't kick the bottle. It was tearing his marriage apart. It was literally killing him. His liver was shot. And he started to pour out his messy story to me. Tim was a guy who was on crack but had kicked that. He was on a lot of other hard drugs, and he kicked those. He was on prescription pills, and he kicked those. He had been on a lot of different substances and always managed to kick it and come clean. But for some reason, he just couldn't shake the bottle alcoholism was killing him and tearing his marriage apart. And he wept and he wept. And then he said, I just want to be like you. I don't want to hate myself and I just want peace. And that's when I got to share the rest of my story with him and say, look, man, everything about my life that's good is because of Jesus. My marriage is because of Jesus. My, my self-esteem is because of Jesus. And I got to just tell him my plain Jane vanilla story. That was the one he needed to hear, that boring story about a kid who grew up in church. Your story is one that somebody needs to hear. That's the thing about the gospel, gang. It is way too big to be confined to just one person's story. And that's what makes yours important. Yours is a unique telling of the work that Jesus does and how he changes lives and how he brings fresh new beginnings. Your story is one that somebody needs to hear. And if we have the courage, and that's what it really boils down to, if we have the courage to speak our story, God will use your story for his glory. God will use your story to glorify his name. Look at how our passage ends. Skip down to verse 39. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It started with just one story. This woman with kind of a messy tale, all she did was open her mouth and say, this is my mess. I'm not even going to try to hide it. You already know about it, but, but this Jesus guy, there's something about him. And her experience made other people curious, so they went and they checked it out themselves. And because they listened, their stories were changed, and they believed. Because this one woman had the courage to open her mouth and to speak her story, God used it to glorify His name. And the story of Jesus and the story of redemption got a whole lot bigger as other people accepted and believed. That is the power of stories whenever they're in God's hands. Your story is an instrument in God's hands. In fact, I want you to say that with me. I want you to wake up this morning. Hey, wake up. And I want you to repeat after me. My story is an instrument in God's hands. Say it again. My story is an instrument in God's hands. Whenever I choose to speak. Was that last part a little harder to say? Because that's the rub. God will use your story for his glory. But he's not going to pry open your mouth and pull it out of your, your tongue. We have to speak. But God doesn't need you to argue theological treaties. If you can, that's awesome. But he doesn't need that. And God doesn't need you to answer every question of faith that somebody poses to you. If you can, cool. But he doesn't need it. If you can just speak your story, that's enough. He can use that and bring glory to his name. And he might use your story to change somebody's life forever. I watched this happen this week, and I had nothing to do with it. It was the coolest thing. There's a couple that goes to this church. They, uh, a couple years back, they had a struggle. Uh, one of the, the people struggled with alcoholism, and it was destroying the individual. It was destroying their marriage. They came to a breaking point where something had to give. And at that point, they were kind of nominal in their faith, but they said, you know what, we tried everything else. And so they cried out to God, they fell at his feet, they started pursuing him, and God healed their marriage. And today they have a solid marriage. And there's still temptations, but God is, is healing and working through this individual, helping him fight addiction. It, it's an amazing story, and if that were the only part of it, that'd be enough to celebrate, but that's not where the story ends. Because this couple from our church, our friends and our family, they have a couple of friends and this couple had the same struggle. One of the people was addicted to alcohol. And it was tearing him apart. And it was tearing their marriage apart. But our friends, our family from this church, they stepped in and they shared their story of how they relied on God and how they trusted Jesus and how it healed their marriage and how it healed the individual and brought them back together. And now the second couple is crying out to God, turning to Him, and God is healing their marriage as they have decided to fight 
and God is healing an individual as he has decided to fight. That's the power of sharing your story because this couple has been changed forever. Their marriage has been changed forever. Their children, their future children have been changed forever because God used one person's story, a couple's story, for his glory. And it could just as easily be your story that he uses as an instrument to glorify his name and bring life if we just choose to open our mouth and speak. I think it's important that we remember why we are called to share our stories too. It's, it's really found in that closing line of our passage. We know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It reminds us why we speak. This world needs saving. There's probably a, a point in the past where I would have said, that's easy to forget sometimes, but I don't really believe that anymore. Because all i got to do is turn on the evening news, and you can see that whatever this world is trying is not working. It's pretty evident that we need saving. And the painful thing is, it's not just the world that needs saving. It's not just people far away. It's people right here in our living rooms who need to hear our story. Not because they need us, but because they need him. Because there are too many stories right now who have unhappy endings and are allowing something as silly as a mess stand between them and the God who, is, who literally died to save them. That's why we share our story, gang. In this room right now, God has a quiver full of arrows. And he's ready to let them fly to pierce the hearts and the minds of the people in this community with his truth, with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. And the only thing holding him back is this. You have a story. And if he's a part of it, it needs to be shared. We're all about steps here at First Christian. We believe everybody has a next step closer to God. And for a lot of us, the next step is simply sharing our story. We found Christ. We're growing in Christ. We're serving somewhere. But disciples are mature only when they make disciples, when they go out. And they tell people what they found and the life that they've been given. And if that's your step this morning, I want to encourage you. Be praying for that one person that needs to hear your story. Be praying for yourself. That when that moment comes, you know and you can speak your story. For some of you in here, your step, though, may be the first step. Maybe you're hearing about this fresh life. You're hearing about this God who loves you so much that that he sent his son to die on the cross, and it, maybe your step is just to accept him, to accept that fresh new beginning and that fresh life for yourself. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to take a connection card out of the back of the seat in front of you. Just fill out your name, your contact info, and on the back left-hand side, there's a couple of boxes. One of them says, I want, to, I want to talk about Jesus. One of them says, I need to get baptized. Whichever one applies, mark that card, turn it into the desk before you leave. Because we want to help you take that step and know this fresh life 
that God has purchased for you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, for the difference that he makes in our story, for how he has changed our lives today and our eternities tomorrow. Father, I thank you for how you've worked in the lives of the people sitting here this morning, and I ask that you would give us eyes to see those in our life who need to hear. I pray that you would see, that you would give us eyes to see opportunities to speak our story. I pray that you give us courage, that you give us words when that opportunity arrives, that we might say what needs to be said, that we might not be overbearing, that we might not be pushy, but that we just, out of love, will talk about the difference that you've made in our lives. We do this because you call us to, but also because we love you, because we worship you, and because you're worth talking about. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.